What's up? It's your pal when she gets thoughticus, and this is the bar is low. Every episode, we take a look at a fan fiction or a collection of fan fictions, and these can be either good, bad, or in between, but mostly they're bad. I had to make rare pairs into a series because even though I managed to cram 11 fix into the first rare pairs episode, which is probably the most fix I've done in a single episode, there were still so many ships I didn't get to. I'm probably going to be saying that in rare pairs 3 too because there probably will be a rare pairs 3. There's still a lot of shit I wanted to get to that I wasn't able to. Today we got a pretty even balance of straight gay and lesbian couples, although maybe it's a little bit tipped towards the straight side but not really by much. Less time the fix I chose tended to be focused around certain characters more than others, but I've also tried to balance that out here, and I feel like I was more fair this time in who's represented. Uh, no one gets too much spotlight, I think. So, let's just go, let's just dive right into this shit. Let's talk about some goddamn rare pairs. This first one is about how Azula keeps escaping from the asylum. Azuka's getting real sick of this shit, not only because it's just annoying on its own, but because June is the only person who's been able to track her down and her prices are ridiculous, even if you're the Fire Lord, I guess. The whole gang goes on a wild hunt to find Azula, but to no avail. So eventually they're like, okay, gotta pay June again, motherfucker. But when June gets the notice that she needs to track down Azula again, they're already just lying in bed together, doing gay shit. So she's just been scammering the shit out of Zuko until he notices that something suspicious is up while she gets that sweet underage pussy. Um, then June tells Zuko that, you know, finding Azula is no problem, but convincing her to go back, that's the pain in the ass, really. And she has a bunch of burns because of it. But those are from kinky sex, but he doesn't need to know that, right? And Zuko's like, but how does she keep keep escaping and June doesn't say shit but she's thinking it's because I keep breaking her out dumbass oh my god Zuko has the worst case of dumb bitch disease I've ever seen that's gonna be a real theme today he's so dumb this next one I don't really know why there's so little content for the pair Tylee and Aang because let's face it they'd be fucking adorable together this person has put together some one shots and a single fic just how dare this be so wholesome they still use the word orbs so I gotta make fun of them for that but my god my teeth are fucking rotting from how fluffy this is the first one is about Aang braiding Tylee's hair and then he stops but it's to go get flowers to put in it oh my god that's just so fucking wholesome and she's just like, oh my god, that's so pretty, thank you. And he's like, so are you. And you smooth motherfucker. Next one is about her teaching him how to chi block, which involves him touching all her pressure points as if they're nothing sexual really. They're like 12. They're just touching. It's sensual more than anything. And they're just both they're both so flustered. They're so fucking little. Oh, there's also this exchange they have that just it just salts my melons. Tylee says, you're like a little brother to Zuko, and Aang is like, what am I to you? And then she says, everything. This is the time in which I would yell, gay! Except it's not gay, and yelling straight doesn't really have the same effect. Seriously though, he manages to spit out these smooth as fuck lines in the middle of his flustered stuttering. It's like some kind of weird curse that he has. He can only be smooth when he's nervous. And the last one shot, it's just kid fic. It's not something I tend to cover, so you know, I'm not really gonna, but this, this, this is some good content. It's fucking wholesome. It's just clear my acne, you know, that sort of shit. This one is a little less wholesome because it just begins with Zuko reading a naughty book that apparently belongs to his mother. Itara comes in, they're married in this fic, and she notices that he's trying to hide the aforementioned naughty book, and he's just like, um, so 
Aang fucked my mom. And then I guess Ursa just walks in because she's there and Katara's all weird about it. She's like, she wants to know about her sex life and what the kinky shit in that book has to do with it. And Ursa's like, oh, sure, I'd love to tell you all about my sex life. And it flashes back to her blindfolding and tying up Aang. And she, like, lightly hits his balls with a riding crop just to warm him up. And she just, like, punches his dick. The author was kind enough to point out that this is called impact play and that both parties must trust each other and that everything was consensual. And then there's, like, some foot fetish stuff. Like, she shoves a foot into his mouth and then masturbates him with her other foot? I mean, if you can stimulate someone with your foot, then good on you, I guess. I couldn't do that. Not really that I've tried or intend to try, but that sounds like it takes a little bit more skill than your average sex. And in the last line, Aang just comes in like, huh, who knew that my attractive older mistress had a dominatrix thing going for her? I knew, that's who knew. And then there's this superfluous detail. The fic just ends on this line like Aang walked in, eating an apple. I don't know why they thought that they needed to include such a trivial tidbit of information about him eating an apple. I really don't know why that was there or why anyone would ever feel the need to put it there. I don't know. Uh, and also, should I have included this on a fun for the whole family episode? Because he is the reincarnation of her grandfather, so that, you know, kind of makes things weird. Not that they weren't weird already, but you know what I mean. But that would also mean that I'd have to include Azula Aang and Zuko Aang on the series, which that seems like a bit of a stretch. So, no insist, I guess. This next one, this is a unique selection. I mean, they all are, but you'll see. Ozai, he's just chilling in prison like a bitch. And he's maybe starting to go a little crazy. He just starts smelling some forestry stuff. And his mouth tastes like he's been chewing on straw. And he just starts hearing a voice telling him that he's a little bitch. And that he should be dead. And then his hallucination manifests visually in front of him. And it takes a few visits before he actually engages it in conversation. Because he's still like, I think I've been losing my mind. No point talking to it. And his hallucination, it's Jet. Fuck boy Jet. And Jet tries to strangle him. But he's a ghost, so his hand just goes right through him. But Jet shows up the next day with his swords, and he has another idea now. So I was like, you know, he doesn't have much left for him anymore. He's like, he's alive. And he's got his superiority complex. That's really it. Just, just gonna put him in his place by taking away his dignity. So yeah, um, he gets raped by a ghost. That's pretty much this fic. It's not graphic, and Jet's just yelling the names of a bunch of dead people while Ozai keeps hallucinating about burning villages and the screams of the dying and that his asshole is getting pulverized, I guess. And then when Jet's done, he says, your son was better? What the fuck does that mean? Does it mean that he did the same thing to Zuko? Or does he forgive Zuko for being Fire Nation or what? What the fuck was this line? <laughs> and then he promises to be back the next day. <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty much this fic. I was like getting raped by a ghost. Can't say I've ever seen that before, or any ghost rape. In this fandom at least. I don't know though, this raises the question of whether or not he was hallucinating. When you're in isolation, your mind does fucky shit like that. Not that you necessarily see or interact with ghosts, but yeah, you do hallucinate when you're in solitary confinement. No indication of him having a cellmate, so... And on the other hand, 
I doubt that he'd have any idea about Jet's existence, so maybe it was an actual ghost, who knows? And Jet cut off his prison uniform to get to his ass, and at the end of the fic, Ozley gathers the shreds of his clothing. Maybe he got cut with ghost swords, or maybe in his confusion and sanity he ripped off his own clothes? I don't know. I'm leaning towards it being an actual ghost because of that first piece of evidence that he probably never knew about Jet's existence. He has no reason to know about it. Some things I do like about this is just create a really dis atmosphere like because both parties involved are just fucking miserable and it involves like all of his senses i don't know like a hallucination people think about auditory and visual aspects which this did involve that too and maybe touch but they also really emphasized taste and especially smell i thought that was a little bit different so this next one this is an author we've talked about already a few times in past episodes and i keep coming back because Oh my god, she has never failed to give me the crazy that I need for this show. This is a collection of randoms, requests, and rare pairs, so I've just decided to select a few chapters that fit the theme of the episode. And these are all pretty short, so things ain't gonna get too juicy, but they're worth talking about. Half the fun of rare pairs is seeing how or why the authors get these characters together in the first place. First one's Katara Beto. This is their really uncomfortable post-sex conversation, They're just like lying outside at night. because they had outdoor sex because that's so romantic i guess and he's like so how about marriage and she's like this has gone far enough and like he's way older than her right he's basically her uncle and she's thinking do i like him because he's older or in spite of it but either way she doesn't love him like that so this little short was just about confusing feelings because that's a mood, honestly. And some motherfucker in the comments is requesting a Katara Hokoda pairing, citing rule 35. Bitch, I've literally read a Katara Beto Hokoda threesome. I'll link you, bitch. Don't test me. Rule 35 has already been fulfilled, my dude. Why people like this? Next chapter Zuko's older relatives keep stealing his women. Why is this such a trend with the shit I read? Now, if that Jin is really his woman anymore because this is post canon, he's trying to run a country. But Iroh and Jin are just embossing say, and it opens with her just covered in cum. <laughs> Quote, if anyone else had seen this, they would have assumed she'd spent the night with multiple men. But this was the work of one man. And she's just thinking, maybe Iroh put something in that tea to help him get it up. But he's just like, no, I'm, I'm just like this. I'm, I'm like this. And he offers to take her to see Zuko, but she's like, nah, you're the one that I want, Tea Daddy. And Tea Daddy is an actual quote from this fic, oh my god, y'all. And they just keep on fucking because, my god, this old fucker goes hard. Um, next one is Paku and Gitaro, because fuck you, I guess, because he's now married her grandma, but that doesn't stop him from screwing Gitaro herself. Bruh, he's your new grandpa, why are you fucking him? Hey, that's a G-Dilf, huh? But she likes fucking him because she used to hate him. Quote, It seemed like only yesterday she wanted to yeet him across the room, and now that same man was tenderly eating her out. A man who still hadn't fully shaken off his harsh and restrictive values was making her come before he even finished himself. Okay, that was all a quote except for the yeet part of just throw him across the room, but yeeting is better. And even though she's running the risk of both of them losing everyone's respect and their other partners, it makes her feel independent. And she's like, yeah, whatever, fuck it, I do what I want, bitch. So this next one's pretty angsty. Basically, Azula has given Tylee a bunch of just great emotional scars, so Tylee's like, hmm, what if I fucked her mom? 
It's really depressing sex, though, because Tylee is so fucking sad. But Ursa's like, yeah, this is fucked up. I shouldn't be screwing a 13-year-old or whatever. But this girl needs to heal, so I'm gonna be here for her. The last selection from this fic is a threesome, which I normally avoid threesomes or other orgies in this series, because that's just a bunch more rare pairs we gotta deal with. But this was just here, so I thought I'd include it. As it was one day, like, oh, hi, May, would you like to spy on Zuko for me? And May agrees to go on Zuko's ship because she wants to see him again. But Zuko, a fucking dumbass, is so intent on capturing the Avatar that he ignores her, and she's like, well, never mind. So one day she runs into Iroh on board, and they strike up a chat, and then Zhao comes along for whatever reason, they're like, hey, uh, how about a threesome? And even though Iroh and Zhao don't like each other, they apparently do this sometimes, they just have threesomes, I guess. She ends up giving them both hand jobs, but this Iroh, as opposed to the one in the chapter with Jin, uh, he lasts like two minutes, and then Zhao doesn't really do much better. And they both fall asleep on her, and Mei is like, that was disappointing. So now we're gonna get some longer selections. I do not have a favorable opinion of high school AUs, but God, the drama in this one is just so juicy that I can't pass it up. There was some other content for this pairing to choose from, but I just couldn't resist this one. Unfortunately, this fic will never finish, so we'll never know how that drama ends, but it just opens so juicily already because it just starts with our favorite trio buying pregnancy tests for May because that's fucking juicy. <laughs> And then Zula's like, hey, uh, you can pee on those sticks at my place. How about that? But May's just like, no. And both of them look at her and she's like, um, yeah, we can't do it at your house because uh, your dad knows my parents. Uh, not because I'm fucking your dad and might be pregnant with your sibling or anything. Juice. The fucking drama of it all. And of course, once the tests all come out positive, they ask in her who the baby daddy is, and she's like, I don't know. But they're suspicious because May doesn't exactly sleep around a lot. And oh my god, this is just so much more awkward because she's friends with Azula. I'm fucking dead. Azula and Tylee are like both so oblivious about who May's been screwing because in this fic, they're dating each other. They're just super gay, and May's just third wheeling constantly. Their dynamic is like my high school experience though. That was what my group was, but I wasn't the third wheel, so that was nice. But oh my god, this is just my high school experience minus the teen pregnancy and the dad fucking stuff. Tylee has like a fucking wicked idea though, and she's like, yo, what if you fucked someone and made him think that he's the father because May doesn't know if she's gonna have an abortion yet. And Azula's like, hey, how about you fuck my desperate ass brother who's been in love with you since middle school? Dad might finally kick him out of the house if he fucks up like that. And May doesn't like him back here but she bullshits an excuse like hey um so my best friends are dating each other and i want to piss off azula so date me just to fuck with them and zuko's like hell yeah they go on a double date <laughs> here's a quote azula and tylee exist in their own world of azula saying something cruel and tylee swooning over it that's my high school experience I want to say the Wenshi Castalicus experience, but it's not because I was not Wenshi Castalicus in high school. I only adopted that moniker after I escaped from that particular prison. And Zuko's like, hey, let's go to the batting cages on our date because that's really romantic. Bitches love batting cages. And May's like, okay, that sounds awful. 
and he drives her home because it's the honorable thing to do and she's like okay i gotta suck it off and fuck him and that goes down it's not exactly high quality sex but you know it accomplishes what it's supposed to do but the next morning for zuko is a fucking disaster because ozla is just waiting for him at the bottom of the stairs and he's like saw you hang out with me yesterday father it's not what you think i won't hesitate bitch no really though ozla is like she's trying to humiliate you in some way i mean like she's not even out of your league she's in another whole ass sport and zuko a bonafide dumbass is like well she wouldn't have fucked me if she was trying to humiliate me and then like he shatters a coffee pot in his rage and he's like excuse me bitch you want to say that again you want to say that you fucked my underage girlfriend again bitch he's just like uh i don't get what's the big deal it's not like i got her pregnant oh you're so fucking stupid zuko you're the dumbest bitch alive and I was, like, I was like, you know what, I want you going out with her. Or um, anyone else either. Uh, yeah, I almost slipped up there, but Zuko notices something is up with how he talks about Mei. And he's like, do you have something against her? Ozai just ends the discussion. It's like, be gone, disgraceful failure of a son. And the next scene is Ozai and Mei meeting up. And he's like, huh, so you fucked my son. And she's like, why are you mad? I can fuck whoever I want. This isn't exactly a committed relationship. I mean... You break the law and cheat on your wife every time we fuck, so... And then he begrudgingly accepts that she can do whatever, or rather, whomever she wants. She keeps fake dating Zuko. I love her and how she gives zero fucks about anything. He's like, hey babe, can I kiss you? And she says, yeah, whatever. She's so romantic, guys. Meanwhile, May is feeling like shit, because I guess that's how pregnancy be. And her mom forces her to go to the doctor to see what's going on, even though May already knows. And once they find out, her parents flip the fuck out, and May goes with her plan, telling them that she fucked Zuko, he's probably the father. And her mom's like, you know what we're gonna do? You know what we're gonna fucking do, young lady? We're gonna call his parents. And she just has a well fuck moment. She didn't consider that as a possible scenario. Oh, uh, but that's where this fic was discontinued, right when it was about to get so juicy. Normally, when I encounter a fan fiction in which Ozai impregnates a teenage girl, I'm ready to climb into my computer to yeet him into oblivion, but I don't even care because this is some top quality drama right here. So, this next one, a little more serious in nature. I don't I know I've talked about DILFs on the show. This is the MILF pairing, Kaya Ursa, because I didn't think I'd ever see this pairing, but I stumbled across it by accident and I just slammed that motherfucking link. So the premise here is that when Ursa got banished, she somehow ended up in the Southern Water Tribe, and instead of Kaya sacrificing herself for Katara, that's what Hakoda did, hence lesbians. And parts of this are written really sensually, like if you can make cutting up a fish sensual, then this is what it looks like. Like Kaya's just remembering how Hakoda can make the most normal shit look sexy, and now Ursa's doing the same thing there's like this little quote what are you thinking about ursa asked scraping entrails into a skin bag to bury in the snow and save for bait she glanced up at kaya with a small sweet smile your hands were so soft when you first came kaya blurted this absolutely radiates gay energy this is like the essence of what being in a lesbian relationship is like not the fish cutting part but just thinking about all these weird little details about your girlfriend and how much you love those and like really bizarre compliments that make you feel good and currently 
really explain why and i feel like the blurted part really adds to that and the main point of this fic though is first to monologue her backstory of course she's angsting about how she'll never see her kids again probably but she's still making an effort to get some nosaka and guitar so here's a passage from this with symbolism and shit it's like pretty fancy i guess Somehow, sitting on her heels behind a dead fish, fretting and unhappy, she still held on to an air of stateliness, even of grandeur, which brought to Kaya's mind the women in stories who were found dancing on the beach or singing in the middle of a blizzard, who came home with villagers and married them, but who warned them not to look too closely at them, not to come inside when they were braiding up their hair or to open the basket they carried with them. And always in the stories, their warnings went unheeded, their baskets of secrets opened, and their lovers saw too much or heard too much, and the women would be gone transformed into seals or seabirds or whatever else they had once been vanished into the snow and waves for a long time all that could be heard between them was the sound of their oars dipping into the water kai watched ursa and ursa watched something beyond the horizon at last unable to bear it any longer kaya broke the silence my love your eyes are gold i've known you a fire nation since the day i met you ursa started at her words jerking the oar sharply her eyes met kaya's with a look she looked hunted like a creature at bay ursa she tried her voice gentle if that's what you were afraid i would find out i already know it's okay you don't have to be afraid but ursa didn't answer and that hunted stared and leave her eyes and kaya couldn't help thinking about other stories about people who escaped the lairs of spirits, who braved every challenge and almost made it out, but who at the last moment looked back and were forever trapped because of it. For the first time, Kaya wondered if both stories weren't about the same woman from two points of view, a woman who was struggling desperately to keep her eyes forward and her secrets behind her. Ooh, it's some symbolism and shit, yo. I it says weren't about the same woman. I think that's a typo, but yeet. That's, that's some shit right there. The next scene, they're lying in bed together, and Ursa's telling her backstory, uh, according to the comics, and she's speaking in third person, as if that's going to make it less obvious that it's her, but if that's what she needs to do to cope, then sure. So, you know, she loves some dude from her hometown, but then Ozai came along, and he was like, yo, marry me, and Ursa was like, fuck this guy, and she refers to her time as a princess as a former life like she just just get away from it all and then she just ended up in the deep south somehow she says that she has to leave again but kaya is like no baby you're safe here and she has like all this fucking guilt because she's the woman who quote made fire nose and she left her kids with him yo so that's kind of sucks god everyone had this fucking deep crushing guilt in this episode of which there will be plenty more of in the next fic I assure you. She's afraid of never seeing her kids again, but she also is afraid of seeing them again because she doesn't think she'll, quote, recognize the people Ozai must have made them into. Fuck, that's a heavy line. Knock the wind right out of my lungs and the little joy I have out of my heart. So Kaya just uselessly holds her and tells her that, hey, as long as the kids are alive, there's a chance you can see them again, even though they've got absolutely no plans for that and no way to accomplish it. I do love how this premise could totally fuck up canon though because Zuko's like in the South Pole right at the beginning of the show and he'd see his mom there and be like, oh shit, mommy, oh my god, mom, where did you go in my time of need? And this has the potential to entirely change his character arc and then therefore, I guess, the rest of everything that happens. Yeah, um, this was a really interesting pairing. Super rare. I never thought I would see it because, you know, one of them's dead and there's really not a reason they'd cross paths either, but I, I enjoyed this. 
so this next one is also super angsty and i'm including it because of the rare pair at the beginning but it does go deeper than that and it has a not so rare pair at the end but the ship at the beginning is so out of nowhere and like kind of wholesome so here it is this one explores ang's pre-iceberg life and his friends and relationships and all that shit he had this buddy kuzan who got mentioned like twice in canon or in the comics or something but this author wanted to expand on that because there's a disappointingly small amount of stuff about ye olden days and no ang ain't gay for kuzan they're just buds kuzan's like three years older and from the fire nation they're also pals with boomy one day kuzan drags him to some fire nation party for nobles and basically what might as well happen when Aang sees Prince Azulon, who's 14 in this fix, so it's not creepy. But when he sees him, everyone in the background like might as well blur away. And then like Celine Dion starts playing and then Aang has visions of them skipping through a meadow together, holding hands or some shit. So yeah, he's just over there practically drooling and Kuzan's like, so you're nervous, huh? Did a girl think your floating marbles trick was stupid and laugh at you? Or was it a lad? Oh, you're into the prince for some reason. I, you could do worse, but uh, hey, let's go talk to him. He looks pretty bored. Aang, of course, is horrified, but he just gets gayer the closer they get. Like, some quotes. His voice was like a chorus of angels. Spirits here was even more beautiful when he smiled. Aang, you gay F. Uh, Kuzan is so brash, and he's just like, Sup, uh, I'm Kuzan, this is Aang. He has a crush on you, and Aang's like, Boy, did you have to say that? And then Kuzan fucking leaves. What a wingman, though. Like, giving him the courage to talk to that guy that he never would have had. So, yeah, they, uh, Aang and Azulon just hanging out the rest of the day, and they have a good time, and then Azulon invites him to his birthday party and fucking kisses his hand as goodbye, and Aang's just way too gay for that shit. But that goes to shit pretty quickly, because Kuzan's expecting to see Aang again at the birthday party, but instead he hears that all the air nomads got killed, and Azulon comes over to him, and Kuzan's like, fuck you and fuck your dad, and he runs away to the Earth Kingdom to live with Boomy and then spends the rest of his miserable life fighting the Fire Nation. He just has a depressing life. And then we skip to Aang waking up in the ice and learning that he's been there for an entire ass hundred years. And when he sees Katara, he's, he just thinks she's pretty, but not as pretty as Azulon. And then, you know, he learns that it's a hundred years later and he's like, oh my god, my babe is dead. And he was also evil enough to continue the war. Oh, and my entire race is dead too. That sucks. And a quote from Aang when he goes and firsthand sees that the Aeronomans got genocided. Aang was the furthest thing from okay that had ever existed. Big mood. <laughs> oh. And then Aang gets to see Boomy, but it's still angsty because, you know, it's Boomy, but it's not the same Boomy. Uh, he sees Kuzan's grave, and man, that fucker died young because he was so angry. And oh, it's still on his fucking headstone that he never forgot Aang. Oh my god, so angsty. Oh, oh, the crushing guilt. Uh, and then we get to a conversation between Aang and Zuko, and my problem with this is that I'm not really sure where it falls in terms of chronology of the series, but Aang's caught feelings again. They just talk and he's like, you look like your grandfather, who I was exceedingly gay for. Also, I miss my dead best friend Kuzan, and I feel responsible for his death, and also the deaths of everyone else who died in the last hundred years. So Zuko's like, uh, you have a crush on me? And he's like, well, yeah, but I'm not gonna act on it because I don't deserve happiness. Like... I have to kill a man 
damn, I'm just glad that my Fire Prince crushes skipped a generation. And then there comes a day during his training when he just loses his shit like, fuck this chosen one bullshit. I didn't ask to be fucking special. How the fuck am I supposed to save the world if I'm a goddamn mess who ain't even got over some shit that happened 100 ass years ago? 100 entire ass years ago. Fuck this shit, I'm out, baby. Everything is my fault. Yeah. Zuko goes after him eventually and then they just sit there for a while while Aang ruminates in his angst and then he just hugs him and asks him to talk about his old life. My god, his backstory though. Kuzan was a bad influence but a good friend and Aang says, We would often end up getting into fights or into seedy bars and clubs. Aang, you're 12, what are you doing in bars? What is he doing in bars, guys? And they basically have a conversation that goes like this. I fucked everything up and I'm a shitty avatar. No, you're not. Yes, I am. I want to die. Oh my god, why can't you just take the compliment? Eventually, Zuko tells him that he needs him by his side. So, you know, every time we touch, start playing in my head. And then it ends with Zuko and Aang meeting up again after the final battle. And then I'm just being kind of gay. Angst, gay shit, gay angst, existential angst, depression, blaming yourself for everything wrong with the world. I liked it. I'm wondering if many other fic authors have talked about them pre-genocide times. Maybe some unexplored potential there. So yeah, I like this. It had a little bit of a unique twist on it, aside from even the rare pair. So let's do our last selection of the day. So your boy, Zhao, he's pulled his fish in a bag stunt at the North Pole and everyone's trying to talk him down like, hey, um, please let go of the moon or just like, don't kill it. We'll do whatever you want. And Yue is being very compliant, but Sokka just kind of steps in to ruin everything and a fight breaks out and then Yue goes unconscious. And she, when she wakes up, her dad's like, you okay? Every, all the organs are intact. Every, uh, everyone's alive. Cool. Now for something to totally ruin that okayness. You gotta marry that dude or he's gonna kill all of us. Now it sounds like it's gonna be tasteless rape porn, but I promise it's not. There's not even sex in this except for like one sentence where it's implied and it's it really more political than anything. So yeah, she's gonna go fucking marry Zoe. Han, her now other fiance, is a huge asshole as we know and he pulls out a knife when he says goodbye to her and I thought he was gonna try some fucky shit, but he's actually like, if you need to save a bitch, here you go. Use this knife I give you. And he calls Zoe admiral chow i love it but she throws the knife into the water like oh come on i understand if you're paranoid and that bad things might happen to you if you get caught with a weapon but ugh, stab a bitch so she's on that ship back to the fire nation and zo actually leaves her alone surprisingly enough and the fish is still alive so there's hope of reuniting it with the other one even though there's a blood moon every night and water bending is dead and yeah but when they get there apparently the mighty zo has a parade waiting for him but you always like my clothes uh, they're like designed for the north pole i'd get too hot to walk in a parade here and i know this sounds again like it's gonna turn into bad porn but when zao tells her just to go naked like the barbarian he thinks she is she just roasts him like yeah that was really petty and immature for a great war hero you trying to talk back to me if you do that you gonna sound like a little bitch suck it chow and i was kind of dumb of her or at least it made me anxious on her behalf for her to bring up that she was wearing too much clothing but she just killed him with words and i i like that a lot uh the next chapter opens with a dialogue between ozai and zao there's no narration it's just them talking ozai's like uh zao you're promoted and the girl you're marrying uh she looks a little young for you but that's none of my business and you know you fucked up if fanfiction ozai is calling you out for creeping on teenage girls and zao's just like notice me senpai please come to my wedding it would be such an honor but ozai just interrupts him to say no <laughs> 
Oh, that was such a loser. And then Azula shows up. She comes to gawk at the water tribe wench while Yue's getting ready for the wedding. And I love it when people use the word wench for obvious reasons. Good shit. Such a good word. Bring back wench. But basically, she's come to tell Yue that Zhao's a dumbass. Zhao isn't royalty, but both she and Yue are. Uh, still, Azula makes it clear that it doesn't make them equals because, to quote, there's no such thing. Oh, I love her. She's such a conceited bitch. Uh, and Zhao actually does not have sex with her on their wedding night, which is refreshing after reading so much fucking rape fic, especially in these arranged marriage ones. It's just like, boom, rape, boom, rape. Oh, yeah. I'm coercing you into everything. So yeah, Zhao may be a tremendous asshole, a dumbass, and a racist, but he's not a sex offender, so good on you, Zhao. The bar is so fucking low. Uh, he also wants her to go to this lunch meeting with a bunch of other military wives, and he's so sure that she's incompetent and wouldn't know how to act, but she's like, bitch, I'm a princess. This is the sort of shit that I do. Fuck your koi fish stealing ass. But the next day, the moon comes back, and then he loses his goddamn mind, and he's screaming at Yue, because maybe she has something to do with it, or maybe she has some information that he doesn't. But Yue suggests, hey, why don't you just, like, lie to the Fire Lord? That's a plan right there. And of course, this sounds insane, but if Zhao tells the truth that he has no idea what's going on, both he and Yue are fucked. After shit goes down with Bossing, say, Ozai really stops caring about the moon, and meanwhile, Yue is just fucking shit up for Zhao, making sure he doesn't have any alleys anymore. He continues to slip further and further into irrelevance after Azula and Zuko come home following the capture of Fossing Say and Aang's alleged death. Furthermore, Azula and Yue both know that Zhao tried to assassinate Zuko and failed, which they say that would make Ozai not like him, but I don't know. I, I, I think he wouldn't really give a fuck. And then she decides to reveal that her mysterious connection with Moon Spirit is the reason that Zhao's a failure. Which, you know, that's just, that sounds dangerous to me, but okay. I trust your judgment, girl. And the eclipse is coming now. She's been there for a while, I guess. Which means that the North Pole will have a chance to liberate itself from Fire Nation occupation. And Yue suggests that they both flee there. And Zhao's like, bitch, you kidding me? She's like, no, I mean it. Everyone's gonna be out for your blood and you're gonna be miserable, but like, you're my husband and I'm their princess. I can make them accept you whether they like it or not. Like, you've been touched by the moon and I've been touched by the sun. That's some poetry right there. This fake ends with a wave hitting Caldera City and kind of a broad sweeping depiction of the future of the nations and the survivors and it says that uh, Yue Zhao and the fish live they escape on a boat and they begin a voyage to their destiny whatever that means. I'm not quite sure how I felt about this fic. It was definitely interesting though first off I'm glad no one got raped because that always seems to happen in these types of fics fuck the bar is so low. This makes me wonder about how they actually felt about each other too. Again fics like these usually him marries her because he's just a horny creep but they didn't even fuck except for one time where it's kind of implied and that part was like two sentences long and it was also consensual she's just manipulating him the entire time but the part at the end where she's like no really i'll take you back to the north pole it's really telling i feel like i don't think she actually loved him but she maybe felt bad for him <laughs> oh he's such a loser maybe he just wanted to marry her because it's kind of what you do when you conquer people sometimes not necessarily because he was a creep but yeah he was still kind of a creep but he could have been much worse because yeah, again the bar's low I liked Yue being a devious little shit, even kind of managing to con Azula. Goddamn girl, that's what fanfiction is for. Exploring characters who barely get any screen time or personalities. Definitely a unique little bit, not just pairing wise, but with how they handled it. I don't know if I can say that I necessarily liked this, but it was interesting and for sure a worthwhile read. 
So today we covered what Zuko doesn't know with an exclamation point by Dickard23, Dick and then A-R-D-23. I'm just a kid by Jazzisms, Jazz I-I-S-M-S. Who knew by Oddst Pilot, O-D-S-T Pilot. Bitter Straw by Shadow Wasserson. We did some selected chapters from Ren Requests and Rare Pairs by Katang Fanficker. Wicked Schemes by X-Zero, X-Angel, X-Dynamite, X-Zero, X. Meltwater by Attackfish. I never asked for this by Raven Tao and Dawning by Loopy. Barslow is on Instagram. You can find us at Barslow with an underscore in between each word. Follow us on what's coming up next. If you want to drop a rating or review on iTunes, that'd be real cool. I'm not going to beg you for five stars. Give me however many damn stars you think I deserve. As always, I'm the Pal Munchkin's Thoughticus. This is Barslow. Thank you for joining me, and that's all for today.